at your own discretion. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot-Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod, and thrilled to be here with you. And just realized that I did not put my earbuds in because I'm a, a fool and an idiot. Okay, no, you're uh, not. But I'm, I'm good. <laughs> it's like I forgot. We went on break, and we haven't been here for a couple of weeks, and I forgot how to do things. Right. Happy New uh, Year to everybody. Indeed. Happy New Year. I'm going to... I'm going to see if these click on now, but I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to be here with you, my friend, Nancy. Uh, Did you guys have a good holiday season? We did. We had a really nice Christmas and uh, a really nice New Year's with a little gathering here of friends and family, and uh, it all went very well. I'm so glad to hear that. We had very small and insulated, but, um, but really good and, um, everybody healthy. So I can't ask for anything more than that. Um, but you know, we're, we're a little pod onto ourselves at this point, but, um, you know, it's, uh, we had a lot of rain and it was very cold here and yes. I'm not used to it being cold in LA. Every once in a while, I think, oh, maybe I'd like to go live someplace where it snows. And then we have like one cold snap in LA and it snaps me right out of me it. Me too, Shannon. <laughs> it's been really cold here. Very cold at night. Of course, the days are warming up now, but, uh, my house is not, yes. my bedroom's not very well insulated and it's freezing at night. Yeah. And it's cold and damp, which I think we are we are preconditioned in Los Angeles to not feel that. But it's been rainy and cold. And uh, I grew up in upstate New York. And so I am used to hanging on by a thread until April 10th or so when spring finally decides to arrive. But I moved away from that as soon as I could as an adult. And I miss it sometimes. I'd like to vacation somewhere where it snows for two days, but I'd like to get there not going through the snow and leave not getting through the snow. Because I know so many people, I don't know about you, Nancy, that were stranded over the holidays because they traveled and there was so much snow they couldn't get back. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I don't, don't want to ever travel in snow ever again. I'd like to mentally transport exactly. to the snow. You know what I need? Here's I just I just realized what I need is a pair of VR goggles that have snow in them. Okay. <laughs> like a snow escape so that I'm not actually cold, but that I can just enjoy the pristine white snow and the smell of snow. There's a very nice sense memory for the smell of snow. But other than that, they can they can <laughs> shove the rest in the ocean for me because I don't like cold. I don't like winter. I you you ski, right? No, not really. I used to, but not anymore. Oh. I used to cross country ski, but I, I went downhill a couple of times and tried to learn, bless you. And it was never, it was never a thing. I'm not coordinated enough to do that. Um, I messed my knees up skiing, so I don't want to ever do it again. There you go. There you go. Well, in any case, for those of you who are watching us in cold places in the universe, uh, bless you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. And uh, we hope that you stay. It is nice to be snuggled up though. That's a fun sensation. Yes, with a fire. Enjoy. And I watched so many movies, I'm surprised that my head didn't pop and fall off. I know, off. you really uh, have. You give a review on I Facebook, really and it. I love your reviews. 
Thank you. I, for those of you who don't follow me on Facebook, I uh, tend to at this time of year, I try to between Christmas and uh, Valentine's Day, I try to watch all of the films that could potentially be nominated for awards and give them a review on Facebook. And my reviews are very short and sometimes very caustic and, <laughs> and hopefully enjoyable. But uh, you could check check me out on Facebook. Yeah, I, I think sometimes- I, I disagree with you on some of the big ones, but that's okay. Of course, of course. I mean, people do. But all right, I know this is off topic because we got to get to the news. But what's the big one that you've disagreed on? Well, I'm probably in the minority, but I um, haven't. Re- I really didn't like The Lost Daughter. Oh, I did interesting. I not care for that Nancy. film at all. I was bored during it. Oh. I thought it dragged. I thought it was slow. I mean, Olivia Coleman's a great actress. We know that. Yeah. Uh, but other yeah. than that, I didn't like the film. And um, See, I was on the edge of my seat for that one, but it's the power of the dog that most people disagree with I, me. Because I, I, just, and hey. see, I disagreed with you on that. I actually enjoyed the power yeah. of the dog more than the lost daughter. Oh, I just was like, show me one more fly on the back of a horse. But see, now you probably would have enjoyed that. But also, I believe that there is a thread of autism through the power of dog, and I don't like how it's portrayed. Ah. And, and and so I have an issue with that. I don't want to do, we don't want to do spoiler alerts, alerts here, but I I think that there was something in Power of the Dog that I, you know, I wholeheartedly don't uh, want to see portrayed in films and um, that was connected to autism and, and nobody else is seeing that but me, okay. but you didn't see it yeah. apparently. Um, well, we'll have to talk, okay. uh, but yeah, I'm, I was offended, literally offended by the power of the dog okay. and I was bored, but I was also offended as a parent of someone uh, in the autism community. And as somebody who considers herself an ally in the autism community, I was offended. So there we go. Uh, but I'm alone in a field by myself on that, <laughs> so, but I'm fine with that. I'm fine being alone in a field offended. I've been there before. Um, in any case, we, we got a great guest for you guys, so we don't want to belabor that too much. Uh, but we do always like to start our show. And by the way, welcome to Thursdays. Uh, uh, Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy is now on Thursdays. So thank you for uh, watching the post and catching up with us on Thursday. So we always like to start with news stories. And we just have a couple of them for you this week. It's been kind of slow on the autism front, which sometimes that's a good thing. Um, but our first story comes to us from the Washington Post. This is a, there's a... Um, a segment on the Washington Post where it's it's almost like a Dear Abby, but it's in their lifestyle section. Right. It's called On Parenting. Get... On Parenting. There we go. There we go. And this uh, particular one is answered by Megan Leahy. And um, the question that somebody wrote in, try this on for size, you guys. Uh, my nephew is almost eight and has autism. He is very bright, has a great sense of humor, and can get really involved in things he's interested in. However, he is not good with change and lives pretty far away. So when my family visits with him, we are always resetting the clock. 
The first few days of the visit are rough. He will bite, hit, or pinch who, uh, whoever is nearby if he is not getting what he wants or if someone is not paying attention to him. After a few days, the attacks end as he becomes more comfortable with us. And her question was, do you have any suggestions for how to handle these behaviors? My children want to avoid these visits. We don't stay over. We just stay in the area. And I can hardly blame them because the older he gets, the more his physical attacks hurt. He is really a great kid and we enjoy him, but we don't like those first few days. We've tried ending the visit as soon as it happens. We've tried sharply saying no or ignoring his behavior, uh, but uh, only giving it time seems to be the thing that works. And so then her question was answered and I I was riveted as I was reading the question. I was like, what are they going to answer? I'm going to be so interested. And I got to be honest, I'm not totally in love with the answer, but I think it's a good, I think it's a good place to start. There were just some things that I wish she'd included in her answer. Uh, First of all, what did you think of the answer uh, before we tell them what the answer was? Well, I'm kind of with you. I was mixed on it. I felt like there were some suggestions she could have given for dealing with the behavior that she did not, uh, basic ABA, uh, that would have been more effective than what the parents in this case were doing. Uh, but I do agree with her that there was a glaring omission in the letter. His parents are caretakers. Where, where are yeah. they in all of this? Cause they were not mentioned, um, by, yeah the parent who wrote it. Yeah. You know, she says, uh, this really isn't a problem about autism. Um, she alludes to the fact that it's a problem about behavior, um, which I think I I sort of loved, but it's a little, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, because then she goes on to say, you can't do just a regular intervention for this. You have to consider that he has autism. So I thought that that was a little bit of a dual message, right. but I sort of get what she's trying to say. Don't just pin this on the autism. Um, there's, there's more going on here. And if you're really going to address this, then stop just chalking it up to autism. Let's figure out what the function, why is he doing this? Um, because what you're doing isn't working. The thing that I wasn't in love with, I, I'm glad that she brought up the caregivers and said that they have a responsibility in this, but I sort of felt like she laid it all at their feet, that the, the parents solely are responsible for this and that there's not really a whole lot that the, um, that the aunt or uncle uh-huh. who is writing this in can do. And that I thought was a little short-sighted. I don't disagree that parents need to take responsibility for their children's behavior, but, um, but I, you know, I think Nancy, I don't want to speak for you, but I know I've been through this situation. Mm-hmm. I've actually been on both sides of this equation right. where my kid was the kiddo that, that the rest of the family was like, what are we going to do? Because he, you know, he's not interacting with us and he wanted to kick my mother. Um, and you know, how they handled that and how we handled it. But I've also been on the other side of the equation where there was a kid on the spectrum who kept hitting my son and the mother stood there like nothing was happening ever. Never, never opened a mouth, never said whatever. And then even said, well, you know, he's on the spectrum. Um, as if that's the thing and that excuses it. And so, you know, later in life, if he goes and and hits someone who doesn't know that in a 
grocery store and the police come, that the mom is going to stand in front of the policeman or the judge and go, oh, he has autism. It's okay that he hit that person because that's not going to work then. Right. So, but you've had things happen before too. Have you been on both sides of this equation? Um, I have not. Well, yeah, I actually have been on both sides. At first, I was thinking I've only been on one side where my son was being destructive and disruptive to people, to his aunt and uncle. Um, but uh, I have had a child be uh, physically aggressive with Wyatt that was on the spectrum as well. So I have been on both sides of the equation. And, and it's um, a tough equation. It is a tough equation. Uh, she does eventually get into some uh, helpful suggestions. I thought it was good that she mentioned typical triggers for many autistic children are sensory. So can your nephew wear headphones the first couple of days he's with you? Can he be in the house but in another room? Can you eliminate loud noises, strange smells, or new objects? Is there access to exercise, a trampoline, a swing, or another form of movement that can calm your nephew. So I thought those were really good concrete suggestions, which I was, that's what I was hoping for. Yes. I just would have liked for her to have added more to that. Like maybe the first day that you see him, you don't actually come in the house. Maybe you agree to meet someplace that's outside the house. That's very reinforcing to him. Like maybe you guys go to the little play area at the mall, or maybe you go to his favorite hobby store, or maybe you go to an amusement park. And that's the first day is you guys outside of his environment where he's getting used to you not invading his environment. I would have loved to have seen, but you know, I mean, she's a small article. She can't include everything, but that's one of the things that I thought, oh, that would be really wonderful. I know that somebody had written into us in the show last week and said that their, their child had been so removed from the other relatives during the holidays that he was on his iPad and that he didn't interact with other people in the family. And one of the things that I suggested was find a game on the iPad that he can play with one or two people in the family so that you're meeting him where he is, you know, instead of expecting them to do all of the legwork to be able to come where we are, you know, let's, let's meet them at least halfway. Right. Um, but I, but I got to say that I loved that the aunt or the uncle, because we don't know um, who it was that wrote in and said all the wonderful things about her nephew I, and that he wants to still try. Um, that made me the happiest. I don't know if you had a chance to look at some of the comments, Nancy, but there aren't that many. But one person just wrote in and said, you know, this kid is spoiled and you're a terrible parent for forcing oh. your children to be around these kids who hurt them. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, that's part and parcel of why the world is so messed right. up. Because I see it now. He's not a great kid. He's a violent meanie. He's spoiled. He's taking yeah. bite. He oh, goes on with a with not nice. He's word. taking bites out of your children. She goes so far as to refer to him as being a cannibal. Um, yeah, it's just like, and you just go, oh, this is, this is why we struggle and try to bring awareness to people in the world. And somebody does respond to that person and says, you know, where's your compassion? Like if this child were having seizures, you wouldn't call him spoiled and a meanie. Um, but it is a dicey thing because as a parent of a child on the spectrum, there are times when, 
well, we, when we feel helpless, like our child is engaged in a behavior and it's like, well, what would you like for me to do? I can't, you know, I remember saying to somebody, you want me to duct tape him to the wall? He's a person. He's having emotions about what's happening. But on the other hand, we can't just allow our kids to hurt other people or destroy other things, right? It's that really fine line somewhere in between. But I think when we're compassionate, we can find. Exactly. What do you think, Nancy? Yeah. I agree. Um, Should we move on to the next story? Yes. Uh, The next story comes out of CBS News. And the headline is Mother Angry Humiliated Over JetBlue's Treatment After Two-Year-Old with Autism Refused to Wear Mask. And so the the gist of this story is that there was a lot of chaos on board a JetBlue flight to Cancun from Cancun to Newark over a two-year-old with special needs. He was autistic who wouldn't wear his mask. The, the boy's mother says the airline's treatment left her feeling angry and humiliated. Um, and there are some solutions to this story as well, but the bottom line is, um, and now my, I'm trying to find that again, just, it just went away. Well, I mean, one of the things that the airline responded and said, there were a lot of miscommunications and we've covered these stories before. And it always seems to have the same thread is that, you know, the parent tried to be proactive and tried to contact the airline and and have a conversation with someone. But the airline says, well, but that person didn't convey it to the other person. So you didn't have it in writing. And, and she did have a letter from her doctor, which is what the airline was suggesting. And she tried to show it to them on the plane. And they, they were like, lady, I'm not taking anything from you. They wouldn't even look at it. You know, she did talk to the person at the gate, but they didn't convey it to the on uh, airline staff. I think, you know, we're not, we have not flown lately, but if, I, if there were any parent of any individual on the autism spectrum that was going to fly, I would, I would encourage you to cross every T and dot every single I, because I think in situations where you're face to face right now with all of the COVID considerations, everybody's temperature is running high. So if it were me now, based on this story and other stories, I would call the airline and I would take down the name and the badge number of whoever I spoke to. And get in writing. They, she needed yep. to get the exemption. In yes, writing. there's a fi- there's a, a piece of paper you have to file with them. Right. It's a mask exemption, right. which apparently even for a two year old, which I didn't know that. Um, and then everybody that you talk to, like document who, like carry a little notepad with you. No, I just talked to Shanice at the gate, and Shanice said that she was going to talk to you. Did you talk to Shanice? Um, you know, and, and write everything down so that it's not all hearsay. Cause I think people's ability to listen right now is greatly hampered. And what you want to be ultimately is safe and not, um, you know, I can't imagine how overwhelmed this mom felt with a letter sitting there in the seat with her two-year-old who's hysterical and people saying, you have to get a mask on. And all she, it was the return flight. All she wanted, you know, when you get on the plane to return home, I don't care how great the vacation was. You're like, all I want to do now is get home. 
Exactly. You're exhausted. And I just want to get home. And with everything going on in the world and, you know, getting on a plane with a two-year-old with autism is already stress inducing. Um, but she said, you know, people standing over her child and shoving masks in her face and her child's you know, that that was sensory overload and that her fear was that she was going to be asked to get off the plane. And by the way, they didn't get on the plane until after a three hour delay. So let's just talk about where everybody was at that point. We've all been there. We've all been there, which is just a nightmare when you have a child with autism and your flight is delayed and they're got the hangries, hungry, angry. Oh, And and I'm sure that the flight attendants, same way, that they were flustered and like, you know, let's get this plane up in the air because we're three hours late to the next thing. You know, everybody was in a circumstance where it's likely they weren't the, their best selves, but we're talking about a two-year-old on the spectrum. One of my worst and, experiences ever as an autism mom was on an airplane. And oh. And when Wyatt... We got on the plane. We were the first people. It was an hour flight from a small beach town in North Carolina to Charlotte. And the the uh, pilots, intending to be nice, invited him into the cockpit. Well, guess who didn't want to leave the cockpit? Oh, yeah. And so we were the very last seat on the plane. So he proceeded throughout the entire plane to scream, bite, kick, and throw the most massive tantrum. Lost his shoes. Uh, then we couldn't calm him down. It took me putting my leg over his legs and uh, the person on the other side of us putting their leg over. And he proceeded to tantrum the entire flight. It was the most miserable experience of my life. Oh, I'm sure. And I've had, you know, experience. I remember one time, we always laugh about this. We had we had to catch three planes to get home because our plane uh, had been grounded for whatever reason. And on the third flight home, after we'd been through so many things, and I had just lost Jem's big bag of Legos because we were having to run to catch the connecting flight. And we had to, like, they made us surrender his medicine that had to be refrigerated. We finally got on the flight and I was like, it was just from San Francisco to Los Angeles. I was like, all I want is just is to come home now. And we just sat down in the very last seat of the plane and he kicked the seat in front of him one time. One time, that was all it was, was one time. And the man who was sitting in the seat in front stood up and did the best Sarah Bernhardt impersonation I've ever seen in my life. And he was like, he stood straight up and he went, oh, I cannot endure this. <laughs> and and we, after everything we had just been through, my husband and I just burst out laughing like, oh, you one kick to the back of the chair and you can't handle it, pal. It's a 35-minute flight. Even if he kicks it every 20 seconds, I, I assure you it's not going to be the worst thing in your life. But us cracking up then made Jem laugh. And fortunately, he didn't think it was because of him kicking the chair. So we got the rest of the flight was fl- fine. But that man, it was clear to him that this was the end of his life, that a child, he'd kicked the back of his chair one time um, and he couldn't handle it. And I thought, oh, pal, walk in our shoes for a day. You wouldn't make it. Um, and of course, I have no idea what he was going through, but come on. You can't uh, underest- overestimate the stress of an autism parent traveling. Oh, Traveling my by air, in airports, Ooh. on the plane, the amount of preparation. You would think we were going oh. into battle, where we are in a sense. Yes. And the stuff, the, first of all, the food, the special food we used to have to pack, the oh. 
I remember the portable VCR player. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I remember the oh my ones, the the books, the I mean, just ad infinitum. It was just yeah. it was crazy. Built beyond crazy. So moral of this story though is if you are flying right now, and I think this is for the you know foreseeable future. Um, call the airline, ask them some, if there's something, an exemption you can fly. Maybe your child would be fine. She said that her child normally will wear the mask, but after a three hour delay, the two-year-old thought, no, I'm not going to. And I would argue that any two-year-old, not just one on the spectrum has the potential to do that. So I suggest file, file everything. This could have been any kid. Yes, but file everything and keep reminding yourself to be calm, to have the notebook, talk to everybody, take their name and their badge numbers. Um, I don't know why, whenever I do that with customer service, whenever I say somebody's name and I say, okay, I just spoke to Danny. Uh, Danny said this, then all of a sudden, I, I don't know, they listen more. I don't know why that is, but they go, okay, this person isn't coming at me from a random place. So that's my advice. Uh, in any case, we got one last story and then we got to get Vena in here because we don't want to miss time with her. Um, but, you know, we love Spectrum News and, uh, and they've got a bunch of articles right now. But the one that really caught my eye is an opinion piece because sometimes they have opinion pieces. Um, and this is coming from Ashley DeMarchena. I hope I haven't uh, messed up her name and Casey Zampella. They, uh, their viewpoint is motor skills and autism, a missed opportunity used to be in the, the previous DSM four R, um, that under Asperger, there was a clear, there was a, a, a symptom. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but one potential key to knowing if somebody had Asperger's was that their gait was a little bit um, not regular. And, um, that was eliminated when Asperger's became part of autism spectrum disorder. And they're making the argument that there are specific motor skill differences between people who are on the spectrum versus people who are not on the spectrum. And that to have eliminated that is really, um, to the detriment of uh, the individuals on the spectrum that there are specific, because your ability to be able to do certain things with motor wise will affect other things like your social skills and your communication skills. Because if you aren't able to notice that when someone's frowning, that it might mean that they're unhappy with you, then that's going to color many more things than motor skills. So they're making a call for, for, us to be more aware and to include more therapies that will address this disparity in skills, um, which I think is really uh, a, a fair thing. I, I agree. You know, I used to think of Wyatt as having very strong motor skills, but there were things mentioned in here um, that he didn't have strength in, like pointing as a motor mm -hmm. skill, uh, yeah. or as you said, facial expressions as a motor skill. Yes. Um, you know, early use of forks and knives, um, things like this that maybe we don't, you know, we might automatically think of a motor skill as walking or movement or things involved in sports and that kind of thing. But there are many other things that go into that 
point. Well, this all makes sense to me because, you know, we, we talked about it many times. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders card um, did research for many years and, and I think is still doing this research. And one of the things that they've been trying to do is learn, okay, so there are different types of autism. They phenotype 17 different types of autism. But what gets you from point A to point Z of learning faster, depending on which type of autism you have? And there, I remember there was one type of autism that they talked about and that they could look at their graphs and see that there are kids and they, they talked about these are kids that aren't, their handwriting isn't great and they're a little bit more clumsy and, and you know, they aren't good at riding a bike. It takes longer to teach them how to ride a bike um, and all these different things. And I remember thinking, ooh, that sounds like my son, sounds like somebody I know and love. And what they were able to determine is that if you taught those individuals how to catch a ball, and it took longer to teach them how to catch a ball than, than most people had the patience to do. I know when they were teaching my son how to catch a ball, we worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. And then I went, forget it. He's not going to play for the Mets. Move on. But what they've learned is that if you actually take more time and learn that core skill of how to catch a ball, that there is a connection that then leads to being able to tie your shoes and being able to write and being able to ride a bicycle and drive a car. But that you could teach all of those things faster if you taught the motor skill of catching a ball. That kind of stuff really excites me. I think it's like the best research that there is, but it all, all of those things go back to, of course, you can work on these things with ABA, but with the motor skills, we're really looking at the strengths of the occupational therapists, which you, you and I both are fans of good OTs, right, Nancy? Mm -hmm. You've had some great OTs on uh, Wyatt's case uh, yes. over the years. We had one particularly great one that we found in Virginia while we were on vacation. Amazing young yeah. man. They can make a big, big really difference. Taught me the value of doing a schedule every day for Wyatt. That was one there of the you go. takeaways I had from him. There you go. So I love this. Uh, I think it's a really worthwhile article. Go to Spectrum uh, Autism News to hear more about that. So spectrumnews.org is where you want to go. Shannon, right, I, realized, I realized we didn't have any uh, questions from our viewers, and now we, we are not able to take questions from our viewers. Well, that's not entirely true. We okay. are, um, this is our first show where we're now, uh, we're trying this out where we're going to pre-record our, um, uh, on Wednesday afternoons, we pre-record Let's Talk Autism to air on Thursday mornings, but you guys can still be writing in questions. Ah. Uh, that's the reality. It's just, we won't be answering them in real time uh, from here, but sometimes I certainly will be tuning in and monitoring the chat, um, but we won't be answering them on, on the air in the video, but we okay, still can answer questions. Thanks for clarifying so, No, I appreciate that. But the, the amazing, the fabulous, the talented woman that we have joining us right now, oh, it's like there, are, there aren't even words. No, truly, she is so fantastic. I kind of want to be her when I grow I up. I know, she, is what, she has got such moxie. 
She really does. Uh, we're talking about the amazing Vanna Tierro. She's a filmmaker. She's an artist. She's a stand-up comedian. She's a mom. She's an amazing friend, an amazing woman. Um, I'm just pl- proud to be a member of her circle, you know? Um, and so let's let's get her in here and have her talk about some of these many things that we just listed off about her. And look, she's stunningly gorgeous. Too. I know. And so that's not enough. She is one of the most amazing looking women on the planet. Yes. And talk about fearless aging. This woman has it now. Yes. Listen, everything you guys have said about me, I was thinking that about you. Oh, stop. You light me up. You are my beacon. Both of you are my beacon. And I hear you talk about me. And my heart swells and I think I have real purpose in life. But you oh, know what? You yeah. guys are the ones that make me really feel that I have purpose in life because you're so stellar. You guys are mothers, exemplary, exemplary mothers. I mean, advocates. You are educating the planet. You're letting us know daily that it's okay and we have a friend in you and you've gone through all we've gone through just to tag on. Bakari. Well, thank you for all that. Let's say that we all belong to the mutual. What's that? Bakari had ridden a plane before. So Carter and I go to travel, just tagging on to the, to the, the airport stories. He decides when we go to walk down the aisle to get on the plane first, that he's not going. So we're holding him and trying to push him down this aisle and nobody cares. Everybody's racing by us. The staff knows he's autistic. We've been there. We've explained everything. Nobody says, do you need help? Do you need help? Everybody races by. Everybody gets on the plane. Finally, they're like, if you can't get him on, you'll have to figure it out. We back up. Somehow we figure it out. Get on another plane in tears, get, ride a shuttle, get to the other airline to go where we're going. And we're afraid because we still have to get him on the plane. (laughs) So what ended up happening was we looked at each other, Carter and I, and I said, you, I said, you get his upper body. I grabbed the back of his belt right here. Bam. Grab that sucker. He had his upper body. We raced him in like he was like he was a flying superhero. And as soon as we got him across the threshold into the plane, he stopped fighting. Thank goodness, right? Yeah, we all have our stories. And Beta, that that segues nicely into our first uh question for you. This is part of a new segment we're doing called Autism Family Portraits. And you have an autism family. You are the mother of two boys on the spectrum. Tell us about your sons. Carter and Bakari. Carter's the oldest. He's a speaker. Bakari's the youngest. He's a non-speaker. Carter is the kind of guy that everyone wants their autistic child to be like. From the outside, he's a great big brother. He's a great friend. He's a great mentor. He's the person who's on the playground who 
brings everybody together and creates fun. He's been like that all along after he went to social skills and was taught, I believe around age eight, how to say, hi, my name is Carter. What's yours? Oh my God. That just set him off. And he started making friends and he always makes friends. But Kari loves people, loves to interact. He isn't verbal, so he's very comfortable being close with people. But since he jumps and stems, he likes to jump and around, jump about and around activity. He likes being with people, but his energy is so big. Sometimes if you don't know him, it can be a little unnerving, but they're both uh, advancing in any way that they can individually. Bakari will be 23 later this month. And Carter is now 25. Wow. They're growing yeah. up fast, Dana. Yeah, they're and, they're, and they're what beautiful. Handsome, what handsome young men they are. Yeah. They are. And Bakari, the one on the left, He's got a big acne issue right now that's out of control. Uh, in 2015, uh, we talked about this quite a bit on Autism Live. He was placed into a, a group home, which was very beneficial. Over the pandemic, I couldn't get to him enough to monitor what was going on, and the acne blew out of control. Oh, this is a beautiful picture with Tracy Kedar, Ido Kedar's and uh, Sharon Kedar, uh, Tracy and Sharon Kedar's son, Ido. Um, Tracy is an expert in uh, typing, helping non-speakers communicate through pressing words and letters and making uh, sentences. And many non-speakers have been able to, through this method created by Soma out of Halo in Austin, Texas right now, have been able to fight for their own age appropriate education. And it's extremely costly, uh, uh, like $150 to $170 an hour just to learn. And then once the individual learns, the family and the community around that individual has to learn it so that this person can communicate. And you, uh, they will always need a facilitator of sorts. But it's so beautiful because his good friend who was in the other picture, it was Justice Killebrew's birthday. And years ago, we saw the documentary A Mother's Courage, where I saw Soma for the first time teaching a young man from Switzerland how to communicate. And she's talking English and everybody got lit up and uh, we met them. And then I met Justice and his parents. And I told them about Soma in Austin. They did crowdfunding. They drove across country. We cried because they texted us the entire time, everything he was communicating and everybody was so thrilled. Well, he came back. He fought for his own age appropriate education. He got it. And when the school didn't comply, the parents had to sneak in and pop in. And they found that the iPad was not on the table. All of the ways of communicating discussed in an IEP were not being carried out. And with that evidence, they were able to homeschool him. And now in more than half of his subjects, he's two grades ahead. Wow. 
And last year, he hosted a symposium for, what is it, through the regional center where you control your own money? Self-determination. Self-determination. He had a facilitator on a whiteboard and he communicated with his uh, keypad that verbalized what he was typing. And he shared with a room full of hundreds of people how he has set his goals for his education, what he wants to do in terms of a career and the objectives that work up to that goal. He communicated that in a session with his parents. And, you know, like you said, we have to know what their uh, feeling is. And he had a few breaks and he had his sister, his mom and his dad there. And um, we're really excited because we videotaped a little bit of it. And um, it's going to be a, a moving experience in the documentary, Believing in Miracles in Spite of Autism, which is now a docuseries. So right. You have, tell us about this. You are a documentarian. And yes. you're producing a series of documentaries. One has been completed, Dana? Yes. Well, the first one was done um, back in 2012 and was nominated for an Africa Movie Academy Award. I just, you know, went on Craigslist, bought a flip camera and a Final Cut Pro edit system <laughs> and uh, shot my family and just shared the raw experiences with the world. And um you know, I have a background in journalism, so uh, it was beautiful. I, I am an editor, so it wasn't like I, I was just making a movie and I didn't know what I was doing, but I was blessed that that's how I met Nancy, that's how I met Shannon, right. and Ariva Martin and Dr. Bob Sears are in it. It's, it's a wonderful film that most parents really come up to me and say, that's my life on screen, so... If I could help more people know that what I'm doing and, and going through is similar to them, then, you know, we give people hope. Right. It really is a remarkable film. And tell us about the next, uh, next documentary in the series, Hannah. Well, our children are growing. And hooray for all the work of early intervention Hooray for all the things that are happening in research that are helping kids function. But there's a fear still in our uh, culture. When kids leave school, they're home. They're stuck at home. We all know so many stories of kids who lose a life uh, in a home, you know, apartment sometimes. And then there's the other fear from parents. What happens when we're gone? So this series will address how to first impact individuals on the spectrum educationally that will prepare them for a life after school. So it's different sensitivities that different parents have done on their own, working with teachers, working with IEP teams, and uh, preparing the transition plan that actually works and getting them in trades. We will feature different work uh, job uh, models, uh, work, uh, work models. Uh, not all are full-time. Spectrum individuals have different sensitivity to time. And so these different work models are showing how different 
autistic characteristics fit in different jobs. And um, we have extraordinary ventures out of North Carolina. We have um, uniquely abled here, um, started by Udi Bennett, and who also did Exceptional Minds. And so we'll be able to not only talk about issues, but present solutions. So we're also going to present solutions to education because we do know that non-speakers and partial speakers are intelligent. Everyone hasn't cracked the code to help them communicate thoroughly. Although there are methods out there that are helping many partial speakers and non-speakers communicate extremely thoroughly. So we want to expose more individuals to that and particularly neurotypical people so that they understand that they need to join with us and help get legislation to start educating our children properly from kindergarten. And by exposing everyone to these methods, we've got a huge learning curve in terms of preparing teachers and aides to educate properly in special ed classrooms. Now that's many years to get there, but we've got this, we've got to start sooner because if it's taken my family, a moderately income family, you know, we're not poor, we're doing pretty well. I'm a single mom surviving in Los Angeles. <laughs> So I'm doing pretty good, but being able to afford $150 to $170 an hour <laughs> just for one day. But in order for him to be fluent, he needs five days a week. He needs another person in the classroom with him to help him navigate that space. So that's the phenomenon of Justice Killebrew and the Killebrew family because they had a sister his age who cared and learned. The dad cared and learned and the mom cared and learned. So he had three individuals communicating with him in these methods and he got very strong. Um, we have, if you, if people out there, if you've never seen the documentary Deej, D-E-E-J, go watch that and then you will know an individual who learned to communicate as a non-speaker who put himself through college his family was right there with him. They believed he could learn. He continued to prove them right. And it's an awesome story. Ito and Tracy are developing methods to help more people because, you know, Tracy can only meet with people in a finite amount of time. She's trying to expand this to a way to reach people so they can learn virtually. But Legislation has to change education so that we can start getting facilitators trained and in all the classrooms so that the world gets used to watching kids walk around and adults walk around with a keypad that they speak to you on. Right. And yeah. we can, you know, learn that bit of patience. I'm really proud of Bakari. He's getting so much better. We just got his first keyboard. I made actual letter boards out of cardboard that we've gotten really good at. And being with both my sons now, they gang up on me. That's not fun for parents, but I'm thrilled about it. 
<laughs> my son Carter, that. the oldest brother, holds the yes and no board, and he says, "Do you really want mommy to cut your hair now?" And Bakari goes, "No." <laughs> I like, love it. I used to just be able to do stuff. <laughs> But you always want your children to have input. And so we'll watch a movie and we'll pause the movie and, and talk to Bakari. Did you, did that make you sad? Yes or no? Uh, what was it uh, the guy put on his head? And then we'll give him the letter board and he'll type words and a hat, a yellow hat, you know, and we can get into emotional conversations because we're all there in the moment and Everybody wants to know what everyone's thinking. And so, so we're making baby steps. And through this documentary series, we want to unite the world, neurotypical and autistic. We want to we have unite a everybody so we Don't can we all have a clip, work together. Shannon? We do. Say it again. We have, a, we have a clip. Oh, yes. This is the promo video. We're still raising funding. Thanks to Operation Hope and Sick Group, we were able to get money to start editing the first of the series. And I'm going to edit a couple days a week. It's so much fun, but it's so much work. And uh, okay, let's see the clip. Well, let's let's take a look. Autism burst onto the scenes in the 1930s, but began rapidly increasing over the past 20 years. Incidence rates before 1985, 1 in 2,500. 2,000, 1 in 150. 2006, 1 in 110. 2008, 1 in 88. 2012, 1 in 68. 2014, 1 in 59 children diagnosed with autism each year in America. And 1 in 37 boys. And as parents of autistic children await the Center for Disease Control's most recent statistics, the bigger concern is, what's going to happen to our children when we... The parents are gone, and they are adults, 50, 60, 70 years of age. Who's really going to care for them? I'm doing my best to raise my children so that they can be independent. But I don't know what would happen to them if I'm not around. They could end up in jail. Studies show that thousands of diagnosed and undiagnosed people with autism are behind bars with little to no support. It is really unfortunate in so many families and for decades not long ago, these children were being isolated, kept in the back room, never being introduced to anything or anyone else. This is really scary. The fear of most parents with children diagnosed with autism is beyond belief. That could be my Bakari. He doesn't have language. Well, what happened to him? And studies show that autistic people have an elevated risk of becoming homeless. I believe governments 
core principal function is to provide support to its citizenry or at, at the state level its residents, particularly those who can't provide it for themselves. It's society's responsibility. It's not just the parents. We have to step in and do something. Powerful stuff, Vena. Powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. So I love to edit, and now I have an editor, Andrea Roma. I met her at my job at Fox Sports. Incidentally, you know I'm an essential worker, correct? Right. I did not know that. When they got rid of sports, you know men would have slit their throats simultaneously around the world. But I brought back archives, ladies. I did not know that. I think I saved the world. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, and I met Andrea there, and uh, she's a wonderful creative writer and editor, and she's really given me comfort. It's nice to have another mom. Her children are not on the spectrum, but she's got a passion for our plight. Well, we can't wait oh. to see the series as it develops. Now, we don't want to say goodbye to you before the end of the show, before getting to something that is really fun and exciting. And that is your other passion. And so you don't have enough uh, accolades and, and passions. Uh, you have started a whole new career in life as a stand-up comedian. Yes, I have. And you guys, I'm a producer. I've written. I have projects that I was efforting getting an agent to get to meetings. And I did comedy in the 90s for five years. Got married gave up comedy, and came back after a 21-year hiatus because I realized I have a brand that isn't being marketed. I'm a sexy woman over 60. Hey! And I think I have a lot to offer as a personality, and I have a quirky sense of funny. So I put myself out as a personality, and my career has snowballed, and that's the idea. Let's get people to know about this girl in comedy, I just go by one letter, V, because my name has been, you know, played with in lots of different phonetic ways. <laughs> and I'm loving it. You guys, I uh, am usually in Hollywood on Thursday nights at the Sunset Rooftop with Roz Washington, a great mentor, a fireball. And I love comedy. I don't know why, but it took over my life. The other thing that I'm really excited about right now, you guys, is dating. Do tell. I flirt all the time. When I was in the trenches with the kids all the time, I, I, I saw cute guys or men and around me, but I, I never released myself to know it was okay to look and smile and giggle. <laughs> And I do that a lot. And people ask me out and I go to dinner and I'm meeting some nice guys. It's kind of cool. I understand my girl Nance is, is 
doing a little dating. Yes, I have been doing a little dating. Isn't it nice? Yeah. You know, if if you're going to meet somebody in life, you've got to date. That's just the way it is. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's hard. You know, everybody wants to make it so hard. Our lives are hard. Anything after that is crazy. Exactly. So getting to meet guys, you know, so what if they don't go the distance? We are women of a certain age who are very secure in being with ourselves. So it's not a big whoop, you know? It's getting to know people. And I'm approaching it in this era as friends. I want to get to know quality men and let them get to know me. And that doesn't happen overnight at our age. We have too much to unfold and we're not expecting anything. We're just having fun. Right. So I think that's really good. Well, good I just have to say, I'm sensing a sitcom here. I see V as the, the central character, the the hot, sassy mom who's a stand-up comedian after raising two boys with autism. And, and she's got her best friend, Nancy, who's also dating too. Yes. I love it. Um, at, yes. You know, and I can be the fat friend who comes for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's too totally, I signed me up. Um, I think it's fabulous. I, I think that can- you're going to give us advice and, and help us get to the altar. <laughs> well, okay. I didn't get to the altar. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is that I was the last person to get to the altar. So I'm still married. Let's hope that I stay that way. But like after saying that, my husband will be like, yeah, I'm not so sure. But I, you know, I let's remember that I was single up until right before my 40th birthday. So I was, I was the very last person. Uh, so everybody thinks of me as being this old married woman and, and marriage is still relatively new for me. Although this year is our 20th anniversary. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, no small accomplishment. Congratulations. How can people, do you have a social media presence? How should people follow you and find out about where you're performing? Okay. As an autism advocate, Vena Tiero is my name. V-A-N-A-T-H-I-E-R-O on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. As a comic, I go by one letter V. Although there's a K-pop artist in China, who is V, and he monopolized all the single Vs. So I am three Vs, VVV Comedy on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And I've been releasing really hilarious video spoofs. I've got a new one coming out. I found all these great dresses at you're not going to believe this. The 99 cent store. I created a fashion show in my girlfriend's backyard to model all these clothing. And it's a really fun video. It's kind of crazy. It is fun. I've seen it. It's hilarious. You're hilarious. All of your videos are hilarious. Uh, we just adore you. We're about out of time here. So if again, you know, look for Vena. Tell us the website of where they can be keeping in touch with the series. The series is Believing in Miracles in Spite of Autism.com. You could use the acronym B-I-M-I-S-O-A.com. Okay. And so we should stay tuned to that. When do you think that people will be able to watch the first episode? What's the timeline look like? 
Well, our timeline for finishing it is April National Autism Awareness Month, and we'd like to get it to Netflix. And uh, good, that's the plan. All right. Well, from your mouth to Netflix's ear, uh, we just think you're remarkable, Vena. You know, uh, both Nancy and I, I know we just, she says this all the time and I say this too. We both admire you so much. You're a powerhouse. You are. And we're grateful to know you and your boys are amazing human beings that we just love uh, as well. So you're, you're an incredible family. You're an absolute dynamo, Vena, and we wish you great success with the comedy and also with the documentary series. We're going to be looking for it and you'll have to come back after you've got the, the next one completed and we can show some clips and talk about it. Excellent. Well, you guys are dynamos. I love your sons and I look forward to our sons having great careers. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So uh, we're, we have to sign off now, but we want to thank everybody for being here. Make sure that you tune in tomorrow. We've got one of our best of episodes of Autism Live. Know that coming in April, uh, we're going to, on Fridays, we're going to start playing our stories from the spectrum, which is all content by and for people who are neurodiverse. But before I go, because this is something that both of you ladies need to know, we have launched today, the press release went out today, that we are having a contest for someone to design the new logo for the Autism Network. It has to include the words, the autism network, and there are specific guidelines we are only looking for and taking submissions from neurodivergent artists. We are looking for this to be from someone who identifies with that term. You can be on the spectrum. It can be any one of a thousand things. It's all on the the rules list. Um, We're taking submissions starting tomorrow, only up until February 1st, and then we're going to determine the winner, and the winner gets a $500 honorarium. So I know both of you have sons who are artists. I hope that we will get submissions. Um, The only criteria that we've set is that somewhere on the logo, it has to clearly say the Autism Network. Other than that- You're going to get so many submissions. I want you to keep them all and plaster them on a big wall because they're all going to be brilliant. You're not going to know how to choose. They're all going to be winners. I agree. I agree. But I I hope that your sons will be among the people submitting. I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity. One of the things that Autism Network is trying to do is put our money where our mouths are. We believe that in being an ally, you have to foster employment. And in order to foster employment, you have to give people things to put on their resume um, and you need to pay them for the work that they do. So that's um, th- that's why we're holding this contest and it's only open to people who identify as being neurodivergent. So uh, send those in. But other than that, we've got to say goodbye, but mwah, to both of you ladies, you know, I love you both. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. There we go. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye for now.